Hello, everyone. This is Jamal Bradley, and this is our new podcast called Kicking It in Kenya. And basically, the show is going to be about what's life like in, the, in Africa for an American, the different perspectives, the different opportunities. And if someone were to look to move to Africa, whether for work, business, life, what can you expect and how you can make the most out of this decision? Welcome back, everyone. So the first episode here that we're going to talk about today is life in Africa. And maybe just to get a bit of feedback about myself, um, originally from Philadelphia, South Philly, to be exact. And my first time coming to Africa was to Kenya as a study abroad student while at Lincoln University, uh, LU in the house. And it was my first time. It was actually my first time ever you know, leaving a country outside of a, a small vacation to the Bahamas in high school. But really, you know, it was an opportunity and I got to know a lot of different people, you know, who really, in, in college actually, um, I had an African roommate, he, a guy named from, a guy from Nigeria named uh, Cheki, I think his name was Cheki, that was 18 years ago. But uh, yeah, nice, cool guy. And, you know, he was the first person to really, who I met, you know, on a daily basis who was from Africa, even though Lincoln had a, a lot of African students and we were pretty cool, you know, but having an African roommate definitely kind of opened my eyes up to, you know, different opportunities, different perspectives. So really after that, you know, I just signed up for a study abroad program and that was 2000. And since then I've been going back and forth. Uh, I got married to a local Kenyan woman, a Swahili woman from the coast in 2004 which was 14 years ago, so four kids later, and one more on the way. Uh, here I am, and I've been living off, on and off in, in East Africa and Kenya for, I guess you could say, about uh, the last maybe 10 years, more so the last few years where we've been here more full-time. My kids are in school. They're fairly comfortable there. My kids are, you know, predominantly speaking Swahili in the house in school, but in school in Kenya, as in a lot of African countries, the, the language in business, the language in education is actually English and some other countries, it might be French. Um, maybe in Angola and Mozambique, I believe it might be Portuguese, at least the language of instruction for schools. So from that perspective, you know, my kids, they, they speak fluent English, but as far as in the house, it's, it's Swahili. If you see them on the street, you know, if people talk to them, they will speak a, an almost uh, a Mombasa dialect of Swahili. But other than that, you know, they're they're American in some ways. And, and also, obviously, they have the, the African Swahili influence there. So with that being said, that's my background here. Uh, over the years, I've done, you know, different levels of business here. I do a lot of consulting. Nowadays, we're doing a lot of real estate, things like that. So, and also we do represent a, a few different companies from uh, from the Middle East, also some companies from the U.S. We do a little bit of finance, financial consulting, and things like that. So with that being said, part of the focus on this podcast is going to be if you want to live in East Africa, um, and maybe you'll hear a lot of my perspectives are coming from East Africa because this is where I've spent the overwhelming majority of my experience. So I can maybe provide a bit more feedback on, on this region. 
But just in terms of the, I guess you can say the interest level of a lot of people in the States, you know, people want to know about different parts of Africa. So in that respect, I'll probably refer to some of the conversations I've had with different uh, Africans from maybe West Africa and also from South Africa, different places, so that as we move along, you know, we can maybe, you know, have that level of dialogue and information, whereas I won't be able to provide expertise on other parts of Africa. But as far as East Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, maybe even Rwanda, I'm pretty comfortable with my knowledge, pretty comfortable with my network and everyone who I know. So really, let's start today with we're going to discuss what are the nuances of relocating to East Africa, or let's say relocating to Africa, another country. First off, the first thing that you want to do is you want to make sure that you you visit the country before you decide to maybe relocate for a long time. When I say visit the country, I don't mean just taking a five or 10 day vacation. Really, it takes, you know, going to visit a country not once, not even twice, but sometimes three times just to get to just to get to a level of comfort and going to these different locations or different countries. The reason is because, let's say, particularly for a lot of uh, Black Americans, a lot of us, we go to Africa, or let's say we come to Africa, and we kind of get this feeling of, I want to say, euphoria of being back in the motherland. You feel good. Uh, the sun seems to shine brighter. The water seems, seems to taste better. Everyone appears so friendly. And to that extent, you know, a lot of people are, they're, they're generally more friendlier than you might find in America. Um, but not to say that people in America aren't friendly, but in general, Africans, they are, um, you know, uh, friendly people who you can more easily get along with uh, initially. You know, it's, a, it's a, a level of comfort that people generally have amongst themselves, which kind of is, it's very inviting so that you can feel a level of comfort. With that being said, you want to be careful about when you're coming to another country to kind of make that decision, which it, it might even be emotional, you know, in that you come and you feel comfortable and you say, you know what, this is this is where I want to be. And, you know, you make such a decision after one week, two weeks. And that's great. It might feel good. But the same way you probably will not marry someone after knowing them for a week or two weeks. Yeah, I mean, respectfully, you don't want to make such a decision after meeting, after coming to a country for one or two weeks. So this is why I say that you have to make that return visit. You even have to make that third visit. If you want to go to a country where you want to stay for a long period of time, particularly for the what we would call the developing world, places where infrastructure is not as great, the business climate is not as clear and open. And more importantly, you know, sometimes some of these countries have, you know, different kind of political problems. So you want to make sure that you're going into a location in which there's a, a comfort level that's high enough so that as you as you settle down, there are no surprises. And believe me, there will be surprises. So one of the things you want to do when you come for that second or third trip, start 
having honest conversations with people. Talk to people, get their perspective on what's right, what's great about the place, and also what are some of the problems? What are some of the things that you need to know more about? So as an example, for me, when I when I first went to Kenya, great experience. One of the, literally the best experience of my life at the, up until that point. Uh, great experience. I, I came to know a, a very, very good family, uh, the family of a guy named Zali Abu Bakr. And he was uh, he was actually he he's retired now, but he was the, the director of a museum, one of the largest museums in Mombasa, in Kenya. A museum called Fort Jesus. So I became very close with this family, uh, close with these kids. To this day, we're all still very close. And that level of comfort led me to return after the study abroad. So after the study abroad, I came and I began to visit them more. You know, I told them about some of my ideas, some of my potential thoughts on coming back to East Africa. And, you know, they were they're very, very helpful. But more importantly, they were very honest. You know, they told me things like, you know, Kenya, Africa, it's nice, but, you know, things here don't always go as planned. Because a lot of times, you know, let's say, for for example, you know, one of the things they told me was that, you know, yes, when you come here, people are going to be generally friendly, but that doesn't mean you trust everyone, you know, which is something that's can be maybe a bit difficult for a lot of Americans to accept that, you know, you come to Africa and, you know, everyone is happy and, you know, people are friendly with you, but that doesn't mean everyone is necessarily your friend. And you start to kind of see that in different ways, but it's very important that you have people who will be honest with you, people who will tell you, you know, what exactly to watch out for, what exactly that you can do to be in the region long-term, but also more importantly, what will what will it potentially potentially look like 10 to 15 years down the road? So that's very important. Now, with that being said, you also want to, besides, let's say, choosing a location, choosing um, or when you're coming back, maybe uh, establishing a level of comfort. And more importantly, as we said before, making sure that it's not an emotional decision because emotional decisions generally could lead to mistakes. You could feel very comfortable, but maybe you ignore the fact that, you know, the city where you are, where you love in Africa so much has a crime problem. You know, the city where, you know, you, you really fell in love with this city, but, you know, there are no jobs or, you know, the small town that, you know, you fell in love with. It's a nice little place in the in the hills of Ethiopia. It's nice and wonderful, but you know, it might it might not be the kind of place where someone who's not from that community can really live there full time. These are little small things that you can overlook for one week, two weeks. You know, it's not that big of a deal. But when you start hitting that six months, seven months, one year, two years there those things start to eat at you. And, you know, more often than not, it can become overbearing if you were not expecting it. So what we're going to look at next is when you decide to relocate to Africa, the really biggest question that anyone should really look at is, what are you going to be doing? Now, 
I, I get a lot of emails. Uh, a lot of people send me inboxes on Facebook or, you know, just different things or ask me different questions. And people generally ask me two questions as it relates to moving to East Africa or Africa in general. One, what kind of job can I look for? Uh, I have this experience. I have this experience. Uh, what do you think? And the second one is, you know, I'm saving up a bit of money. I want to relocate to Africa. I think it's a good location for my family. What kind of business should I look into? First, just to be totally honest, uh, I love Africa. It's a great place. It's wonderful. But it's not the kind of place that you want to come to looking for a job. There are a lot of people here leave Africa to go to different places to find jobs. Why? Because as nice as it is, Africa does have an unemployment problem. And when I say unemployment, let's say maybe it's better categorized as underemployment. Because what happens is this, uh, I'll give an example. In Kenya, Kenya for years, people would estimate the unemployment rate at around 40, 45%. But recent studies have shown that the, that the Kenya's actual unemployment rate is about maybe 10 to 11%, maybe 11.4, something like that. Now, what they factored in, which shows that they're, they're collecting more data, is that, that that decrease includes the what they call the, um, not the private sector, but what they call the, infor sorry, the informal sector, meaning that people who are working day to day, you know, little small hustles that, you know, they have no bank account, no no real um, regular income. And also, these are not the type of jobs that, you know, can be accounted for in, in, a, in a society in which, you know, there are a lot of expenses. But what happens is that, you know, when they, when they were looking at their original numbers, you know, these are people who, if you're making $100 a month, selling fruits on the side of the road, that's not something that they were accounting for. Those kind of people, they generally looked upon as being unemployed because it just doesn't show up on general records. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's it's such a high level of poverty. How could they tell the difference between someone who's making so little money and someone who has a regular job? They just look at it as 40 percent. But just statistically, the unemployment rate in Kenya and also a lot of other countries, it, it actually is uh, around 10 percent, 12 percent. Um, now, maybe in some war-torn countries that have a lot of political problems like South Sudan, uh, maybe Central African Republic, uh, some other places, yeah, it might be 40 or 50% informal or formal, but really, that's just uh, in those situations. With that being said, do not, well, let me take that back. I mean, I don't want to dissuade anyone from coming to Africa, but my honest suggestion is that unless you're a doctor or a, let's say, a banker, you know, you're a high level banker, you want to work for a large firm or something like that. And there, and there are uh, a lot of large firms operating in Africa. East uh, Nairobi is the main hub for a lot of, uh, for most Fortune 500 companies that are operating in, in East Africa, Nairobi would be the hub. But with that being said, a lot of these top jobs, are taken by locals because Kenyans in general are fairly educated people. You know, there's no there's no deficit in you know hardworking educated people in Africa or in Kenya. What there is is uh, 
there's a deficit in decent paying jobs. So as an example, a lot of people, you know, a lot of Americans, if you've met any Americans who are working abroad, a lot of people work as as teachers, you know, English teachers, math teachers, which in general, if you are working as a teacher in Africa or Kenya, your salary is not going to be very high. And when I say not very high, I mean probably $200, $300 a month. Uh, this is in private schools. Uh, government schools, which you can't work in unless you're a citizen, might pay less. Now, this is taking into account the general public, I'm sorry, the general private schools, whereas maybe expats might get jobs. But uh, even for the high end schools, you know, a lot of times they, they're either hiring people from abroad who are coming to work directly in the contract, and meaning that you knew someone at the the British school, the British consulate in London or in the UK, and you know they hired you to come work at their at their school in Nairobi or wherever the Brits go to school in Nairobi. Or for Americans, there are different Western schools, but a lot of times they they import people who they already know from back home, and those are unless you have that kind of position, that's there. Um, but generally, as it relates to to working as a teacher. It's just not practical unless you want to do, let's say, semi-charitable work, because don't think you're doing it for a paycheck. Teaching is not what you want to do when you come to Africa. Um, and I'm not saying this to to down to downgrade teachers in general, but just ask a teacher, you know, ask them, well, why, you know, why did you take a job in Dubai? You know, you got a, you got a, a lot of Kenyan teachers who go to Dubai. Why did you you know, apply for a visa to go to London. Because a lot of times, you know, these what we call um, blue collar jobs, even a lot of white collar jobs, they're nice and, you know, it might provide a, a reasonable level of income for uh, a local person in Kenya or Tanzania or, or wherever you are. But the salary is definitely not what someone coming from America is looking for to sustain themselves. Um, but that's just obviously everyone has their has their own ideas, but that's just some honest advice. Um, now, some people do find jobs with NGOs, and NGOs are a ton of NGOs all over Africa, uh, all over Kenya, um, and some of them, they, they do pay reasonable salaries. But once again, NGOs, by definition, they are goal-based, they're objective-based, and you know, once you finish the project, then more than likely you have to you know, maybe rotate to another place or the contract is up and you go back to your other job. And also, to be honest, a lot of people who work in NGOs, they like them, but I, you, know, you kind of get the impression that they're always looking for something else because maybe it's not as fulfilling as they expected it to be. But, you know, those are the kind of jobs that some people look for. Uh, sometimes you might come across engineers who are working for oil companies and let's say not in Kenya necessarily, but maybe in Tanzania, nowadays in Mozambique, places like that, uh, in West Africa, Nigeria. In theory, people would think that, well, a lot of Westerners might be getting jobs in Nigeria, but unless you're maybe connected with Shell or Dutch Royal Shell, most of the, most of the engineers are Nigerian because Nigeria sends a ton of people to, to the U.S. to study, and basically some of them come back, and even those who who don't come back, they end up getting 
jobs as engineers in different places. So Nigeria generally has their own indigenous uh, workforce in the oil sector. Uh, the same doesn't exist necessarily in Kenya. Kenya has very few oil reserves. Uganda has a tiny bit. Tanzania doesn't have uh, as a, as an established workforce in the in the energy sector and that or the petroleum sector, but they're they're catching up. Uh, and unless you're getting a contract with a company who's doing that kind of work, you know it's very difficult to to break in just by coming in and maybe trying to see what's happening, so to speak. So uh, with that being said, the next part we're going to look at is let's say with jobs. Jobs are, they're there, but just to kind of close that point, not, not, I don't want to say close that point, but just to kind of give an idea on the, the workforce or the workload. And let's say in Kenya, Kenya, for example, the let's say the GPA, the GPA in, sorry, the per capita income in Kenya is about maybe 3,500 a year. Uh, in Rwanda, or let's sorry, uh, Ghana, another country that's in West Africa, it's about 4,600. And really, you'll find a country like South Africa, whereas it's 13,400. And you see these numbers, some people might think, well, you know, I can survive on that if the local people can. But in reality, those numbers are a bit skewed because you have a few people in all of these countries who are, who are rich. You know, you have millionaires, multimillionaires, uh, in a few of these countries, you might even have a billionaire or two. In South Africa, you definitely do. In Kenya, maybe there might be maybe one person who might be close to a billion there, but there are definitely a few few companies that are you know have a billion dollar worth in that respect. But what happens is that you know those numbers kind of maybe they they make the the overall number maybe look a bit better than what it is. Because, you know, there are some people who are getting by on $100 to $200 a month. Some people have relatives in different countries who are sending them money. So that's how you get some of the, the numbers on the per capita income. So with, with, with that part, um, what we're going to do now is we're going to focus on business. Because this is what most people who move to other locations do. You know, if you, when you move to another country... Most people aren't looking for jobs. They're looking to open up a business. So right now we're going to take a short break. And after we come back, we're going to go further into this discussion and look at different perspectives on how we can all make this work. You know, it's a great opportunity, but we want to make sure we do it in the, the right kind of way that has long-term benefits. <laughs> Okay, we're back. Now, so now we're going to go into the next part of the segment. So now when we look at business, what kind of business should someone coming into Africa or anywhere else, and if we're looking at Kenya, if we're looking at East Africa, West Africa, what kind of business opportunities should people consider? Now, the first point is, one, anytime you're looking at business, make sure that it's a business that you feel comfortable in. 
make sure it's a business that you have some background experience in. Do not think that because you're American and you show up that, you know, you're just going to make it happen. It's not, it's not that easy, not that simple. If it was, as they say, everybody would be doing it, but it's definitely not. So now when we look at business, what we're going to look at are what are the, the growth industries in Africa in general? Well, first off, we'll actually look at education. A lot of people talk about, you know, a lot of African-Americans who are moving abroad, you know, they, they work as teachers. Now, teaching in Kenya or teaching in Africa, it's not a practical idea if you want to be sustainable or you want to be self-sustainable. You want to stay five years, 10 years. Some people even looking at it longer. With that being said, if you want to look at it from a business perspective, open a school, open a nursery, do something that's adding value to the people. Do something that you have experience in and also which, one, doesn't take a ton of capital, and two, you're adding value. The U.S. educational system, it's, it's pretty good. We have our problems, definitely, but the overall structure of, you know, how you can go from a pretty good nursery school or daycare to elementary school, what they call primary school, secondary school, we have a, a pretty sophisticated educational system in which if you focus on areas that are important, that you recognize things like science, math, technology, uh, pretty good language skills, if you come to Africa, whether Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, Ghana, Senegal, and you open up a school, or even a small nursery, you'll get customers. You definitely get customers. You know why? Because you have people who open up bootleg schools in these places and they're offering garbage. But you know what? Even the average private school is still 10 years, sorry, still 10 times better than the average government school. A lot of the government schools are severely underfunded. They, they don't really have textbooks. Uh, sometimes the teachers show up, sometimes teachers don't show up. You know, these things happen. Uh, because a lot of times when they work for the government sector, pay is irregular. But what happens in a private school is that this is where most people, going up from the upper lower class to the middle class to the upper class, just about everyone who, who really has any focus on education will be sending children to a private school if they can somehow uh, manage to, to pay it off. And a lot of parents, you know, they, they literally are working to send their children to school to get a good education. So looking at that perspective, if as an American, you wanna relocate, you wanna relocate to Africa, open up a school, start it small, start off with a small nursery and, and build it up. You know, you can come in with different ideas, with different perspectives on education, you know, newfound, um, ideologies and education, how to get the most out of children, things that really coming from a, a, a Western and technologically advanced background, you'll be able to add real value that parents will see, even from a marketing perspective of, of an American, Black American, opening up a school in Kigali, Rwanda, you'll get kids coming in there. You'll get parents saying, you know what? I'll take a chance on this. No problem. How much is the, the tuition? All right, yeah, that, that's good. Yeah, we can work with that. And 
what you do is you set the curriculum. You have a background, assuming you have a background in education, you set the curriculum, you find some local teachers, make sure you have enough capital to cover the cost. But from there, go for it. You know, set your school up and start small. As I said, start off, maybe the, if you're starting off initially, the most you should go up to is maybe kindergarten, what they call KG1, KG2, because you really want to make sure that you don't uh, over overshoot your budget, you know, because sometimes rent could be high. Uh, things like bringing in bringing in chairs, bringing in desks, energy costs could be high. You don't want to run out of cash, you know, as you're trying to open up your school. And you know, there 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 will be unforeseen issues coming up. So make sure that you you kind of plan for what kind of school you want to open up, assuming that education is the sector that you want to con- consider. So education, I would say opening up a school is something that a lot of Americans should consider if you want to move to Africa. You know, you have a background in that in that field. Look at it, consider it. You know, it might be an idea that's that's worth that's worth something. Now we're going to take another short break and we'll be right back in about 30 seconds. Now, when we look at the next part of what kind of business should you consider in Africa, we're going to look at two things that are basically the the different sides of the coin, import, export. Depending where you are in Africa, a lot of these countries have a lot of different uh, resources. In Kenya, you have tea, you have coffee. Uh, You also have uh, a lot of different kind of macadamia nuts, cashew nuts that also come from the region. And Ghana, a place like Ghana, you have shea butter, the shea beans, in which you can do the production there and send it back to the States. So these are the two options that you want. Well, this is the one option that you want to consider. And I just mentioned those two countries as examples. Now, one of the things you want to do from the export side, one, you want to go into the country in Africa and establish a reliable source for the product. This is very, very, very important. Because one of the things you find in a lot of different parts of Africa is that there may be resources. For example, in Kenya, you might there's a ton of coffee, there's a ton of tea. In Ghana, there are a lot of different you know sources for shea butter or shea beans, whatever different things are there. You might find the same for other products in Tanzania, different parts of Africa. However, what you want to do is you want to try to get a good, reliable source. And you want to kind of cut away as many middlemen as you can. Now, what happens is that if you're dealing with the middleman, they're already marking up the price. Okay, that's happened. That's business. Nothing wrong with that. But you don't want to deal with a middleman who does not allow you access to the end buyer. What you want to do is you you don't mind having a middleman because maybe they, they, they know the person. They can help you negotiate better rates and better terms or sorry, better prices and better terms, but you don't want to be in a situation in which, you know, this person is locking you out of the source and that they can, one, you know, raise the prices at a ridiculous level. And also, two, 
they might not be reliable themselves. And if they all of a sudden you can't find them, then you no longer have source to, to your product that you're exporting out. So one of the things you want to do, and this takes time, but you want to make sure that you have a reliable connection to the source. Now, over the years, a lot of people have asked me, well, you know, have you ever considered uh, starting up a farm and, you know, maybe doing the production yourself? And in theory, in theory, it could be right. In theory, it could be wrong. My suggestion is when it comes to that part of the supply chain, it might actually be better to have, you know, maybe the local people who are in this line of business for generations, allow them to handle that. And you become their, their, let's say, their key to getting their product out. Because what happens is that it takes a lot of time, a lot of knowledge, uh, you know, a lot of even small on-the-ground networks and connections to do the production of certain products. So that if you end up spending hours, days, weeks, months, you know, cultivating that part of the business, you really won't have time to, to do your export because what happens is that, all right, you have your product, you're shipping it out, then you have to do your marketing and selling, or at least having someone who's reliable enough to do it on that side. That part of exporting it and that part of marketing is a business in itself. So you don't want to have to deal with the on-the-ground nuances of dealing with farmers and dealing with you know, these small individual traders or dealing with getting the license to do that that kind of thing uh, as, a, as a local farmer, which a lot of times is really protected. And even in some instances, like in Tanzania is a, is a prime example, you really can't even deal with a lot of the, the small farmers. You have to deal with co-op societies who will sell you uh, bulk price items like cashew nuts or macadamia nuts, things like that. So what happens is, you don't want to find yourself in a situation in which you're trying to deal with all of that, where you can really focus your time and energy on, on the export side, on getting it out to the markets. Now, that's part one. Part two of the export side is making sure you have a reliable outlet for whatever product that you're exporting from different parts of Africa. Because you can have a ton of coffee. Great. Where are you going to sell it? You can have uh, different, you can have shea butter. If you don't have an outlet to sell that shea butter, if you don't have 10, 12, 15 clients lined up who want to buy the shea butter or who want to buy the shea beans that you're bringing from Ghana or West Africa, then you know what? You're going to have a problem uh, with your cash flow because you've spent a lot of money purchasing the product, uh, shipping it out. And now it's sitting in the U.S. and you maybe you haven't had a reliable enough person, or maybe you haven't had haven't set up the 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 location to do the ex to do the the sales, and you're really going to find yourself in a situation in which now your cash flow is short. You have to pay back your suppliers, depending on you know what your payment terms are. You can find yourself in a difficult situation. So one, make sure that you have a good reliable source. And also make sure that you have a good, reliable outlet for your products, whether it's coffee, tea, shea butter, flowers, uh, different kind of spices that come from Africa. It might even be diamonds, things like that. Africa does have diamonds. You know, you can find uh, diamonds in East Africa uh, and Tanzania has a few diamond diamond locations you can buy from different individual sellers, things like that. 
Um, and West Africa obviously has uh, diamonds. Uh, that's a whole other business that, you know, maybe we can get into in a later podcast. Uh, some people make money off of it, but unless you're careful, you, it's not something that you can just go into because you met someone who met someone who says that they have access to diamonds, which actually does happen a lot in Africa. You know, you always meet someone who says that they got some source and coming out of the Congo, they're bringing these diamonds that are very cheap. And, you know, you cut yourself on a piece of glass. So you want to be careful with that. Uh, but really, as far as, as it goes back to the export and import, I mean, the export part, or I guess that would be exporting, importing, sorry, that would be exporting out of Africa with importing into the U.S. That's something that you want to be be careful about how you set up, but it's definitely possible. It's one of those businesses in which you really could start off with maybe ten, fifteen thousand dollars, already having had your source, already having had your your outlet. You come in, you buy your product, you export it out, you make sure you have your a nice markup rate back in the U.S. or wherever your outlet is, and then you sell. That's your business. That's your business. That's something that you can start off if you if you know that business, if you're comfortable with it. That's something that you can definitely do. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Jamal Bradley with you on Kicking It in Kenya. So, really, just to close up this show, um, we focused on different types of business and also different a few different types of employment opportunities which may exist in Africa. And obviously, we're not able to cover everything, but Really, I just wanted to give those those few points, particularly in employment and for those first few with business. Now, for the next episode, what we're going to do is we're going to go deeper into what are the different kind of business opportunities which exist in Africa. So the next episode, what we're going to do is we'll look at things like, um, let's say, opening up a, a small store, open up a grocery store, you know, like a mom and pop corner store type thing which amazingly are quite popular in Africa because in some in some locations, um, a lot of people don't really like to travel far. Traffic can be horrible. And if there's a small grocery store that sells products, people go to them. Uh, we're also going to look at financial services, which is something that uh, I've been involved in, um, which means that if you're, if you're familiar with banking or finance, you can offer those consulting services or you can offer access to investment. And it's something that people who are working in in that field, whether it's in finance, whether it's in banking, or even in terms of insurance, these are are areas that you can that you can look into. Um, another thing you might want to look into is construction and real estate. Uh, Africa has one of one of the highest highest growth rates in the world. So in the next episode we're going to focus on what kind of construction or real estate opportunities may exist for an American who decides to relocate to Africa. And also we're going to look at IT, the world of IT. This is uh, essential. It's very, very important. When you hear about STEM, when you hear about how it's the most important part of development in the world, the same as in Africa times five. So if you're someone who's, who's connected in the IT world, you have the level of expertise, this is something that we'll, we'll look into in the next episode.